A few weeks ago, I put out a note on my YouTube community page, that is the iPhoneographer's YouTube channel, and I asked people to send in some questions to include in an upcoming podcast. Well, this is that podcast. If you've been listening to the show, you know that more times than not, so far anyway, I've been doing commentaries, aka rants, <laughs> a little bit of ranting anyway, about filmmaking, mobile filmmaking, indie filmmaking. I did an interview episode a couple episodes ago with the guys from the feature film Blue Moon, who shot a feature film on an iPhone, and that was pretty cool, and so I am going to do some interviews like that in the future, but I also wanted to try to do something where I interact with my YouTube audience, and also folks on Twitter where I'm really pretty active. So in saying that, I'm on my YouTube page right now, looking at the comments, and I'm going to pick a few here and see if I can answer the questions. First one is from Sterling Williams. He asks, I'd love to see a tutorial on making a low light short with Filmic Pro. There was parentheses there that says iPhone still sucks in that department. And he's right. It's really, I think, all smartphones because of the size of the sensor. Yeah, with Google, you can do some of the night shot stuff, especially on the photography side. But video, typically speaking, is pretty weak in low light. Although, I just saw a music video that was entered in the Filmic Pro contest that was shot in low light, and I was really surprised at how good it looked. I watched it on my phone. When you watch something on your phone, it tends to hide the imperfections, especially the video noise. So I'm not 100% sure how it looks on the big screen. I am going to check that out. And by the way, Filmic Pro is having a film contest again this year, and they are putting out some of the early entries. That's where I saw that. So you can check out their Twitter or Facebook pages to see that yourself. But anyway, back to the question here. What I tend to do is shoot in flat or natural. And that's using the Filmic Pro Cinematographer Kit. You've got Log, Log V2, Natural, and Flat. Log V2 just gets too noisy for my taste. You can bring those shadows down in post-production, but the first thing I do is either shoot natural or flat. Then the second thing I do is always try to keep your ISO under 100. So that means your shutter needs to be, let's say you're shooting 24 frames per second, your shutter needs to be at 148th ideally, but in lower light, you can bring it down to 124. That'd be the equivalent of a 360 degree shutter. A 180 degree shutter would be 148. That's the 180 degree shutter rule. You double your frame rate to get the shutter speed that then equals ideal motion blur. But in lower light, I found that the 124th setting does help, gets a little more light on the sensor, and as long as there's not a lot of movement or motion, the blur looks fine. But then back to the ISO, one thing I have discovered, especially with the iPhone XS Max, is you can actually get away with raising the ISO upwards of 300. I know I just said keep it under 100, and that is my general guideline, but I have learned with the newer iPhone in particular, because the sensor is bigger, it performs a little bit better in low light. I wouldn't let it go over 300, 250 range, still try to shoot for 100, because anything over that, your video will just be like surveillance footage, <laughs> at least in my experience. It'll just be completely covered in noise. Now, if you're shooting something that's documentary style or just for fun, that doesn't really matter. But if you're shooting something 
like a movie, he mentioned a short film, then I would stick with shooting in natural or flat, keeping your ISO as low as possible, and then opening that shutter up even further if you can. But let's hope the next round of iPhones, the next round of all smartphones, start having a little bit bigger sensor, or they use computational imaging to get better low-light performance. All right, here is another question from Sandir Vermeer. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Shooting with professional cameras that can capture in a lossless format, it's often suggested to expose to the right when using a log profile. Exposed to the right, he's got in quotes. Would you say the same for shooting on an iPhone with the Log V2 profile in Filmic Pro? Exposed to the right, for those that don't know, it's also called ETTR, and that means you are actually overexposing the image. You especially do this with like S-Log and Sony. S-Log 3 or S-Log 2, you typically overexpose by two stops. But with an iPhone or any smartphone, in my experience, you don't do that. As a matter of fact, my guidelines are to expose for the highlights. And then in post-production, you can bring up the shadows if you need to. I'd rather have some video noise than a complete data loss. The highlights that are blown out, you cannot recover. Now, I will say with Filmic Pro version 2, if you've seen some of my previous videos, I did some testing where I was actually pretty surprised. You can get some decent roll-off in the highlights with Log version 2 especially considering it's a smartphone. Not quite Aerie Alexa roll-off or Blackmagic roll-off, but pretty good. So if you expose for the highlights, you can get a little bit of roll-off, which makes your image look much more cinematic. But long story short, don't expose to the right. Expose for the highlights, and then if the shadows get too dark, bring those up in post-production. Okay, here's another one from I Am Rana. How to get motion blur on an iPhone without ND filters? Well, that's tricky, and I assume you mean in bright light. If you're in lower light or interior or maybe in a studio with your own light, that's no problem. You can just light it to where you get the exposure you want and still use the 180 degree shutter rule. So if you're shooting 24 frames per second, you would get the shutter to 148th and you get good motion blur. Or if you're in Europe, same thing, 25p, 150 is shutter. If you're outside, it's a little bit trickier. There's really not a lot you can do. And this would actually be the same with traditional cameras to a degree. The difference with traditional cameras, of course, is you can close the iris. You can iris down, closing the aperture. So some lenses can go down to f22. With an iPhone or with other smartphones, the majority of smartphones currently anyway, you have a fixed aperture and it's wide open. It's like a 1.8 depending on your device. So when you're outside, the one thing I have done that doesn't work in all situations, but that is to shoot in higher frame rate. So even shooting in 60p or 48p, or especially 120 or 240, you need a lot more light to shoot with those frame rates, and thus you can get better looking motion blur. So shoot higher frame rate, and when I shoot higher frame rate, I'm talking about slow motion typically. Some people will shoot 60p to play back at 60p or 50p. I don't really like that myself. But shooting slow motion with playback at 24 or 25 won't be perfect motion blur because you really need four or five stops, usually outside in bright light. But it gets pretty close. It gets better. So try that next time you're outside and you want to add motion blur. If you're wanting to shoot regular speed, 24p or 25p, you really need to use ND filters. There's really no two ways around it. 
that's one of the number one accessories I recommend getting. All right, here's a very specific question geared towards the Moment app. It's from Scott Rose. Curious if it's possible to lock shutter speed, ISO in the Moment app. It seems to lock one, but not both. Uh, the answer is yes, you can. You need to make sure that you set each one independently. So you would go in and set the ISO to whatever you want it to be. And when you're in manual mode, there would be a little line underneath the little icon. I know this is very tech speak here, but that's the way it looks on the screen. And then you do the same to the other one, the shutter or whichever, the ISO, making sure there is a blue line underneath the blue square icon. That way you know you're in manual mode on both of those. Hopefully that answers your question. Some of these things, by the way, some of these questions you guys are asking, I might actually turn into some videos for the YouTube channel. There are some great ideas here. All right, here's a question from Luis Flores. What are the other great apps for mobile filmmaking besides Filmic Pro? I feel like not everyone can afford the $15 for FP. I downloaded Pro Movie Recorder on iPhone and so far it's been great and it was free. It's just that every video I see for mobile filmmaking uses Filmic Pro. Well, that's a good question. I've actually been planning to do a video about free video camera apps. There are a lot of them out there. I would say though, for me personally, Filmic Pro is my go-to app, but I also like Mavis. Mavis is great and Mavis, they have a free version. Now, if you wanna use some expanded features, you have to pay for those in-app purchases. But you mentioned Pro Movie. Pro Movie is a good app. I have that on my phone and Movie Pro as well. I forget, but I believe with both of those, or at least one of them, you do have to pay for higher end features. When I say higher end features, it's usually 4K or higher frame rates. But Filmic Pro has kind of become the industry standard. But another app you can try, and I just mentioned it previously, is the Moment app. The Moment Pro Camera app has become pretty good. They listen to us filmmakers and their customers and they've been adding stuff such as peaking and zebra stripes, and they have a log and flat version for filmmakers, so it's a really good app. For me personally, Filmic Pro is my number one app, but then I also do like Moment, and I do like Mavis. Now, I know I haven't completely answered your question because those aren't free, although Mavis is free. It just has in-app purchases, but in the end, I think for higher-end features, you're probably gonna need to spend just a little bit of money. In the scheme of things, $15, personal opinion is not much for what you're getting, but I understand that people are on budgets for sure. So maybe try Mavis or you mentioned Pro Movie again, and Pro Movie, I've found that to be a pretty good app. All right, here's one I like and that I've been thinking about making a video about too, and I've actually made one or two videos that touch on this subject, but not just about this. And it's from, wow, I'm gonna mess this guy's name up. I'll spell it instead, Z-U-Q-N-I. What is the best way to shoot with an iPhone X to get depth of field? Is it possible? And so what I think he's referring to is shallow depth of field. And the answer is yes, it is possible. Now it's harder to achieve, but it's absolutely possible. The two things you need to do, there may be three, but at least two. First and foremost, you gotta be closer to your object or your subject. You gotta remember you're shooting with a wide open aperture already. And that is one of the key things to get shallow depth of field. But because the phone has a small sensor, you've got to get close to your subject. However, in saying that, if you use a telephoto lens, even the telephoto lens on the iPhone, the built-in lens, that will help a lot too. So get close, 
use the tele lens or the other thing is the telephoto lens on the iPhone itself is a slower lens and so it's not as wide open of an aperture. So if you put a tele lens like a Moment Tele or a Sandmark Tele on the iPhone wide lens, then you're getting more shallow depth of field, a wider aperture. So that helps a lot too. The last thing is, and I touched on this earlier about the iPhone XS Max or the iPhone XS having a bigger sensor, and it does. Not only does it make it better in low light, it also makes it easier to get shallow depth of field. Now it's not like a DSLR or anything like that, but I've been surprised how much easier I can get shallow depth of field. And I'm not talking about using portrait mode or anything like that. I'm talking about just using the native lens, shooting video with the camera. But long story short, you can get it. It's not as easy, but you can get shallowed up the field with your phone. Okay, let's do a couple more here. Here's one from Abhi D Music. I need to know what will be the Filmic Pro resolution settings when we use anamorphic lens and can we use tele lens for some shots and what will be the resolution setting in Filmic Pro when we want to use both above lenses for our videos. Thanks. Okay, well you would shoot 4K for both of those. With the anamorphic though, you can turn on the de-squeeze and I would personally just de-squeeze preview only, meaning that it won't be squeezed for post-production. So turn on preview only just so you can then preview the way the video will actually look. And then you can shoot with your anamorphic and then you can shoot with your tele. Turn the anamorphic part off for the tele lens, of course. But then in post-production, this is really where the work is. Edit in your anamorphic timeline, your 2.4 to 1 resolution timeline, whatever you want to edit in, 4K or 2K or HD. I would probably suggest editing in HD or 2K. You can do 4K, of course. But then you just reframe the tele footage within that anamorphic timeline. So the tele footage will have to be pushed in on. You'll lose the top and bottom. The sides will come out and equal the sides of the anamorphic, but you'll lose the top and bottom. One thing I can add to that is within Filmic Pro, there is a section where you can turn guides on. It's in your resolution area. So turn on the guides for 240 to 1. Don't turn on the crop, turn on the guides. So when you're shooting with your telephoto lens, you'll know where to frame so you won't cut off the top and bottom of your image when you're shooting. That'll be cut off in post-production, but that way you'll know where it is. I hope that makes sense. All right, time for one more here, and it's from my filmmaking Twitter buddy, Patrick Tommaso. What do you think will happen first? Phones catch up entirely to traditional cameras, or traditional cameras get small and cost-effective enough that a phone is no longer needed as the budget portable solution? That's a good question. And to be honest, I don't know the answer, and I know no one really knows the answer, but I think it's amazing how quickly smartphone technology is advancing, especially photography, but video as well. And I feel like the big camera companies like Canon and Panasonic and others are a little bit stagnant as far as being innovative. Yeah, the cameras like the Sony mirrorless cameras are great and they are super popular. The image quality is awesome on video and stills. But I don't feel like they're innovating in the way that smartphones are, especially from the software point of view. A lot of people wonder why or when they'll make traditional cameras have more of a software component to them. I mean, of course, they have software in them, but I'm talking about using like computational imaging and stuff within those kind of devices like they are in smartphones. 
But the biggest reason I don't think traditional cameras will replace smartphones, and I did an episode about this recently, a podcast episode, and that is the point-and-shoot cameras are all but gone. The overwhelming majority of cameras, and that's using that in quotes, that are sold in the world are smartphone cameras. So that part is already taken care of. The quality is different, of course, but the main thing that makes phones attractive and I think will continue to make phones attractive is how easy to use and portable they are. You can carry a phone in your pocket, literally. While my Sony a6400 is a small camera, I can't put that in my pocket. So, especially when it comes to travel or family kind of stuff, phones are just already there. Camera makers have maybe almost given up on that market as it is. So while the technology in both those areas, traditional cameras and smartphones, is advancing rapidly, I think smartphones will catch up and maybe surpass traditional cameras for certain things. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not talking about cinema cameras. I'm not talking about larger professional stuff. I'm talking more about prosumer, the under $2,000, under $3,000 cameras. Smartphones have taken all the market there from the consumer point of view. Professionals like myself and others on YouTube, other filmmakers, obviously we still have bigger cameras, larger cameras, depending on the job. But I won't be surprised at all if smartphones replace a lot of those kind of cameras in the not too distant future. Of course, one of the things that still has to be overcome is the stigma. And I've talked about that in numerous episodes. A lot of people still don't realize what you can do with a smartphone. So that may be there for a while, who knows. But at any rate, good question, Patrick. If you guys don't follow Patrick, great guy, very active on Twitter. He has a really cool YouTube channel as well. Excellent filmmaker. I'll put links to his stuff in the show notes, so definitely check him out. All right, well, this was the first Q&A on this podcast. Not exactly an AMA, ask me anything. We didn't talk about my favorite breakfast cereal or where I like to shop for my groceries or what kind of car I drive, but hey, I like this kind of Q&A a lot better than those. By the way, if you're wondering, my favorite cereal is Cap'n Crunch. <laughs> If you follow this podcast and my YouTube channel, you know that I have a course called The Complete Guide to Filmic Pro. And right now, as of today, Tuesday, it is on sale. We're doing a back to school sale. You can save 25%. It's for one week only. So if you're listening to this podcast in the future, it's not on sale. Although it might be on sale. You should definitely check it out either way. But right now, if you hit the link in the show notes, it'll take you to the site and you can automatically save 25%. If for some reason the link doesn't automatically give you the savings, the discount code is FPSCHOOL2019, FPSCHOOL2019. The course is all about Filmic Pro, how to master the app. It's for beginners to intermediate. There's a lot in the course, over three hours of content. So if you're interested, definitely check it out. One other quick housekeeping note is I am working on another course. And this one is going to be a little more broad, a little more all-encompassing about smartphone video, smartphone cinematography. It'll be geared more towards beginners, how to shoot high-end professional video with your smartphone, but it won't be concentrating on the apps or the technology necessarily. That plays a role. We'll talk about more of the fundamental craft, the fundamental principles of cinematography and how it applies to using a smartphone, but really how it applies to any and all cameras. 
So keep a lookout for that. That'll be coming here in the very near future. Thanks for listening to this episode. I think this is kind of a cool format to mix it up a little bit. I'll probably go back to a commentary in the next episode or maybe have an interview or two. I've got some ideas of who I want to talk to and invite on the show. Thanks to everybody who submitted questions. If I didn't get to yours, check out YouTube. I may have answered it there or I'll do a future episode. This is Blake Calhoun and another episode of Almost Professional. Happy filmmaking and I will look forward to talking to you in the next one.